Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. I'll be reading the NIV, hear the word of the Lord. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning, Trinity Church. So good to have you here this morning. Thank you, Bert, for reading for us. Thank you, Dana, for being here. Isn't it good to have Dana back as our interim again? I asked him in the first service, how many, how many times can you come as interim? We're hoping there's no limit on it. As many times as needed. Thank you for being willing, Dana, to be a part of our church body. And uh, <clears throat> thank you for coming today. I, you know, I wondered if I sent out a little warning midweek and more of a warning in the video yesterday. So if you're on the church email and you read that and watched the email, then you might have wondered, should I even go to Trinity tomorrow? <laughs> Pastor's warning us about hearing this message. So um, <clears throat> if you missed that, and now, now if you're here visiting today as our guest, then now you're wondering, should I get up and leave before this message comes if the pastor is warning us about it? But uh, if you watch the video, Beth and I had a little fun with it, just talking about how sometimes you know how it is. When you go to give somebody a hug, you can accidentally step on their toes in the process. You know, you're coming close. And the point of the video was, hey, sometimes that happens too for a pastor when he's preaching. So in my attempt to hug you, to love you, and to see God's love for us, sometimes it means saying things that are hard to hear that might feel convicting or might even hurt. And I just want you to know, if that happens this morning, it's not intentional. I'm not preaching this sermon for anybody in particular in here today. So if, if that happens, that's the Spirit convicting. That's not me, okay? I didn't intend it for you. But sometimes we accidentally step on toes in the process of giving those hugs. So Beth did wear her cowboy boots. So I don't know if that's to not get stepped on or so that you can step on somebody else's toes harder. But no, okay, it's not that. It's the protection. So um, glad that you're here and uh, ready to hear this. And I just want us to, to pray together and just ask God to open our hearts. By the way, this, uh, this has been and this always the process for me and uh, probably any of us who preach the Word, that this passage has been, these verses have been convicting me all week long. So it's, God's been stepping on my toes in the process as well. So I think there's things for all of us to hear in these passages today. So would you go with me in prayer? Let's ask God to do that speaking to us. Lord, we thank you for this time together this morning. I thank you for those that are right here in this room. I thank you for those that are joining us online and watching our live stream service today or maybe watching this service after the fact. I thank you for that we have this uh, joy of being the body of Christ, the church, <clears throat> and yet, in the process of being your body, sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes there are challenges to that. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would just 
Call us to Yourself this morning. Call us to keep our eyes on You, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would be uh, listening to Your Spirit. Uh, I pray, Lord, that You would you would show us that there are areas in our lives, in our hearts, that, that need to change, that we would be willing to allow you to do that, that transformation is, is part of the process, part of our sanctification. It's part of what it means to follow you. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be open to that, listen for that to this morning. And Lord, I pray as always, and maybe this morning more than ever, that you would guard my words, help me to rightly, accurately communicate your truth for us and Lord, we are in desperate need of your Spirit to speak to us, to teach us, to, to conform us to your image. Thank you for your living Word that does that the same, that gives us the truth of your revelation and applies it to our lives. I thank you that we have that instruction from you. And this morning in our passage, Lord Jesus, especially, thank you for this prayer, the prayer that you offered not just for your disciples but for us. And Lord, I pray that that prayer would be meaningful, relevant, would move us today. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you heard the passage that Bert read just a few moments ago from John. Now, did you know that the Apostle John takes five chapters of his gospel to tell us what Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room? Most of the other gospel writers just kind of fly through that, and you have the Last Supper, and, and they sing a hymn, and they go. John camps there for five chapters. So John 13 through 17 are all these words and the prayers of Jesus for his disciples the night before he died. It all took place in the upper room or as they were walking out of the upper room. We're not sure exactly, but it took place before the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prays in John 17 especially, first for himself. He's asking the Father for grace and help in what he's about to go through. He prays for his disciples who are right there in the room with him. And then he prays this in verse 20. Let me hear, let you hear it again. My prayer is not for them, speaking of the disciples, alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's not just the people in the first century who heard these disciples preach about Jesus. That's all those throughout the centuries, the next one and the next one and the next one, all the way down to us who have heard the message of Jesus and responded to it. Jesus prays for us. Extraordinary. And 2,000 years later, this prayer still applies to us, is still relevant for us. What did Jesus pray for? We go back and hear those words again. He prayed that we would be one just as the Son and the Father are one. He prayed for our unity. Now, think about this. There are a lot of good things Jesus could have prayed for here, right? He could have prayed for our safety. He could have prayed for perseverance. He could have prayed for our boldness. He could have prayed for our purity. So many things He could have prayed for His people, the church. But the one thing He picks out to pray for is unity. Why? Well, look at the last part of verse 23. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Did you hear that? The effectiveness of our witness to the world is dependent on our unity in Christ. We say that another way. The message of the gospel impacts the world most when Christians are united in Christ. 
Our unity is vitally important for our witness. But here's the rub, because the past 18 months have made that much more difficult, right? Who could have guessed that a global pandemic would not only bring physical suffering and pain, and it has, but that this pandemic would also cause conflict and division in marriages, in families, in friendships, in churches? Who knew that Satan would use a virus not only to kill the body, but to attack our hearts and our attitudes and our relationships? But sadly, that's exactly what's happened. As somebody shared with me this past week about something going on in their extended family, describing a mom and her adult daughter. And the daughter had chosen to get a vaccine against the mother's wishes, and so they were no longer speaking to each other because of their disagreement over this. Torn apart this family relationship, a mother and a daughter over COVID. See, the enemy is using this to his advantage. The Bible describes the devil in so many ways, right? So he is the accuser. He's the adversary. He's the deceiver. His strategy in the, ch- in the church among us is to lie to us, to divide us, to get us to accuse each other, to ultimately reject each other, to oppose each other. That's what he wants. That's what he wants to do. His goal is to lead us astray from all the beautiful one another commands of the Bible, right? So over and over in the New Testament, love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, all the one another commands. Satan wants to do just the opposite among us, which is why Jesus prayed what he prayed. Now, it makes more sense in that context. He knew that we would face opposition from the enemy in our effort to follow him. And so his words in John 17, 15 are so appropriate. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, he says to the Father, but that you protect them from the evil one. Right? Jesus knew that would be the attack. He's praying for our unity. He's praying against the enemy's attempts to divide us. Jesus wants unity. The enemy wants division. Very clear. And Jesus says in John 16, 33, some of his last words before the cross. This really, for me, this kind of captures it all. He says, in this world, he tells his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world, he says. I mean, hallelujah, Right? Yes, you're going to have trouble, but take heart because ultimately I have overcome the world. And Jesus knew what was coming. He was going to the cross, and it was at the cross in His death and in the empty tomb in His resurrection that He would overcome, which would give us the opportunity to overcome as well. So how do we live now as united overcomers in the midst of all the conflict in our world. How do we rise as Christians? How do we rise above this COVID controversy that is all around us? This is where my heart is right now. 
And it breaks my heart to know that not just here at Trinity, but all over, people are leaving churches, switching churches, or angry at others over COVID. So that's why we're taking a break from our study in the book of Acts today. We're going to come back to it, pick it up next week. But for today, I just want to share with my heart with, this, with you on this matter. And I want you to, say, to know, and I want to say right here from the beginning, I don't have all the answers. I'm not preaching on this because I have the final word. I don't have an easy fix. We don't know everything there is that's going on out there. We don't know what's coming next. There are a lot of unknowns. But what I do know is that as Christians, we have a unity in Christ that raises us above the controversy and enables us to love one another and to witness to our world despite the controversy. Maybe it's most needed in the midst of this controversy. So how do we do that? And that's what I want to focus on for a few minutes this morning. So here's the, my first thought for you today, and that is be wise in your decision-making and opinion-forming because there's a lot of that going on, a lot of decisions we're making, a lot of, of opinions that we have. And I'm just saying because of that, we live in this extraordinary time, we need to be wise. The coronavirus has shocked and baffled even the experts out there. And when it comes to our decisions about how we respond to this pandemic, the first thing we need is God's wisdom as believers. And James 1.5 clearly tells us, right, if you lack wisdom, what do you do? Ask God. Seek wisdom from Him. Too often, we run to a whole lot of other sources before we ask God, don't we? Have you been seeking Him over these past 18 months? Have you been regularly, daily praying, God, give me wisdom today for the decisions I'm going to make, for the attitudes that I have, for the relationships I'm in, for the way I respond to the people around me? God, I need Your wisdom today. We should be praying for that, asking for that every single day. Ask God for wisdom. But then also, do your research. There isn't a call for that, a need for that. Find credible, legitimate sources. Check them. Double-check them. COVID is a health issue. It's a health issue. Do what you would do with other health issues. Ask your doctor. Ask a health expert that you trust. Find those sources. Don't just accept something because somebody said it or you read it on the Internet somewhere. Check them out. Don't pretend also that you have all the answers yourself, that you have it right, and so nobody else could possibly have it right. Don't get prideful, boastful in your position. Be careful. That's not the way of wisdom. Seek wisdom. Beth and I tried to follow this, tried to trust God, ask God, pray through our decision, for instance, about vaccination. But I'm not here today to give you my thoughts on this, to tell you what you should do. That's not my place. It's not my role. I'm not a medical expert. I, I do have a doctorate. I'm a doctor, but I'm not that kind of doctor. <laughs> I'm a doctor of ministry, not a doctor of medicine. So that's not the point of this message today, to give 
medical advice to you. Other people that can do a whole lot better job on that for you than I can do. But it is my role as pastor to give you spiritual advice, spiritual direction, spiritual responsiveness, and that's our focus this morning. And in saying that, I want to remind you, some of these decisions are medical decisions. Don't make it a political decision, because a lot of people are doing that. This is not a political decision. Don't turn it into that. And it isn't really a theological decision either. You can't go to the Bible and find a verse that's going to tell you whether to get a shot or not. It's not a theological issue. It's a personal decision. Do what is best for you, what is best for your family, what is best for those around you, and apply wisdom to that decision. What about here at Trinity Church? Okay, I talked about on the personal level. What about on the corporate level, our gathered level as a church? What does it mean for us as a church to be wise? Well, it's a lot trickier, right? It's a little more difficult because now we're having to consider all the people, a whole group of people, not just one or a few. What I can tell you this morning, honestly, is that our elders and our deacons and our staff have been wrestling with these controversial issues and decisions for this year and a half. It's been exhausting. It's been discouraging. It's been difficult at times. We've struggled through differences of opinion among our leadership teams. We've labored over how to lead the church through these troubling times. I'm just telling you honestly, that's been the track we've been on. But we shouldn't be surprised. Coming back to what Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. <laughs> we go through troubling times. We all do. That's part of it, part of being in this world. So we shouldn't be surprised by that. Here's what I want you to know, though, from me as your pastor. I am so thankful for our leadership teams here at Trinity, for the way we have worked through this. Not always easy, <laughs> not always smooth, but we stayed engaged in the process. Yes, at times we've had to apologize to each other, had to forgive each other, we've had to reconcile with each other. All that's been part of it. But that's exactly what it should be, right? That's how we grow. That's how God refines us and sharpens us. And that's been happening within our teams as a leadership at Trinity in hard ways, but in good ways. So what have we done here as a church? What's come out of that? Well, as you know, the first few months of the pandemic, we were in the same boat with everybody. Everything shut down. Very, everything was online. Church continued, but we were in this lockdown time. Then from June 2020, remember mid-June, last year was our first open services. So great to get back together all the way through July 2020, 21 this year. Reopen, gathering, but with a number of safety protocols in place. Things that we thought were good to do for us as a body. Protocols to especially protect those who are most at risk. And then, as of last month, August 1st, we dropped a number of those protocols and we're continuing to encourage in-person, back-together worship, but at the same time, still offering our live stream services, which some of you are watching right now, still offering our Zoom groups for men and women, still 
being focused on our congregational contacts from our elders and our pastors to people, especially who are stuck at home or still shut in or still having to isolate, still offering online resources because that's still part of where we are and we don't want to leave anybody behind. Have we done it all perfectly? Certainly not. Have we satisfied everybody's desires all the way through this? No, and there's no way we ever will. But we have found ways to mitigate the risk so that we could stay on mission. What is our mission? Just remind you of this here at Trinity. Our mission is shining the light of Christ for the glory of God by the power of the Spirit. That's what pushes us, what drives us. That's what we focus on. And so we've worked to lessen the risk so that we could continue living out the gospel and our mission of sharing the gospel. However, now, let me give you kind of a balance to that because being the church gathered has always had some inherent risks. If we've seen anything in our study of the book of Acts, right, it's been that these early believers followed Jesus, they came together for worship, they came together for fellowship, for the Word, even when it was at enormous risk to their lives. And that's still true in the church today. Not as much for us here in America, but certainly in other parts of the world. So this past Tuesday, again, if you're on the Trinity email list, you got a letter from our missions committee telling you what's happening to the church and Christians in Afghanistan. Now, this is a war-torn country. You know about this. The, the, this, is a, not, this is not the Christians. These are the, this is the Taliban out here. So, but what you saw in that letter is that there were, there were workers on Voice of the Martyrs and some of those other organizations that were, we mentioned in that letter. Some of those workers have chosen to stay in Afghanistan They could have escaped. They stayed there despite the risk to their own lives so that they could be there to support and help what is now the underground church in Afghanistan. Why would they take that risk? Because the gospel is always worth the risk. Whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's here, Whether it's in the past, whether it's in the present, Christians have always taken risks for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the church itself. When we gather, like we're gathering this morning for corporate worship, or when we gather in small groups in our homes to pray and study the Word together, when we gather to serve our community like we're going to do on October 31st at that fall celebration out at the Jeep Fest field, there are always some risks involved. There always have been and there always will be. Trinity Church has never been able to fully guarantee everybody's safety every time we get together. That's impossible. Yes, we take some basic safety measures and, again, always have. So I was thinking through, what are some of those things? What would be good examples? Well, we put railings on our stairs to help make it a little safer to go up and down the stairs. We put in a, a, a ramp for wheelchairs and for people to get up to not have to use stairs at all, an elevator as well. We have smoke alarms in the building. We have AED machines. We have sanitizing stations. We have our wonderful deputies that come and serve us every single Sunday. 
But despite those measures, there is and always will be a risk involved with coming together as the church. So, to be wise doesn't mean that we take all the risks there are to take and just throw caution to the wind. It doesn't mean that. Being wise does not mean that we try to avoid all possible risks either. It means that sometimes we mitigate the risk so that we can share the gospel. Sometimes we accept the risk that's there so that we can share the gospel. But we always are about the gospel. That always takes priority. Which means we pay attention to something else Jesus told his disciples. Again, these were his last words. These are the top priorities, what he said to them up in the, in the upper room. So here's another thing that he said. Be loving to one another in all situations. Here's our second key point, kind of principle for today. Be loving to one another in all situations. Be wise and be loving. Jesus' words in John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How are people outside the church supposed to recognize us as Jesus' followers? By our love for one another. By the way we care for each other. By seeing how we forgive each other. By seeing how we bear each other's burdens. By seeing how we resolve our conflict. How we overcome differences to live in unity. All that is what the world is supposed to see in us, in the church. Jesus said that love and unity would be our greatest witness for Him. But there's one huge problem that stands in the way of us loving each other, and that is that we tend to judge those who don't agree with us. We just have a hard time with that. It just kind of comes with our sinful nature, right? That if somebody else doesn't agree with us, they must be wrong, and, and so I po can't possibly have a good conversation with that person or have fellowship with that person. Or we, we judge that person because they don't think like we do. And Jesus speaks about this, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. James speaks about it, James 4, 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Paul says it in Romans 14, 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we were all, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. <clears throat> so set those verses in our current COVID environment, right? And I'm not just speaking of Trinity. I'm not just picking on us as a church. This is in the wider Christian community. I, I think what happens, some people look down on and avoid those who don't wear a mask or who haven't been vaccinated. What are they doing? Others shake their heads and pass judgment on those who do wear a mask or have been vaccinated. How could they think that's the way? We pass judgment. Our world has politicized these issues, have demonized those on either side. If somebody's on the other side of you, they must be a terrible person. But that mindset, I understand it out in society, but it trickles in. It affects us within the Christian community, within the church. 
And we need to be careful of that, watch for that, guard ourselves from that because it will destroy relationships in your family. It'll destroy relationships in our church. It'll destroy you if judging and avoiding others becomes our way of responding. So what do we do instead? That's the negative side. Right? So what's the positive? What do we do? So instead, how do we honor Christ in the midst of this COVID controversy? How do we keep loving each other well through this? Well, Paul says in Romans 15, 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. What a beautiful statement. Does that mean we have to agree on everything? No, that's not what Paul says. Does it mean that we have to win the other person over to our way of thinking? That's not what Paul says. He says we accept one another just as Christ has accepted us. How did Jesus accept us? The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. He loved us and accepted us even in our sinfulness. He calls us to love and accept each other, even in our faults, even in our failures, even in our differences. Paul says it another way in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a powerful couple of verses right there. And COVID has challenged us on this very principle, right? Value others and their interests above my own? Yeah, that's what Paul says we're to do. So does that mean that my personal rights take a backseat to the rights and the needs of others? Yep, very possibly. Does that mean that sometimes I should wear a mask even if I don't want to out of deference to others? Possibly. Does that mean that I should value and accept another person in my family or in my group even if they've chosen not to be vaccinated? Yeah, still accept them, still love them. The body of Christ has always been about the unification, the coming together of different gifts and different backgrounds and different personalities and different opinions. That's what makes us the body of Christ. We're one entity under Him, and we're called to listen to one another, to learn from one another, to appreciate one another, to serve one another, to accept one another, despite those differences. And the body of Christ is all the more beautiful because of the differences. Our unity in Christ supersedes the differences. Being unified, by the way, does not mean that we agree on everything. You don't force unity by saying that everybody has to think the same way about everything. That's not unity. Believe it or not, Beth and I don't agree about everything. We've had plenty of discussions over this COVID stuff and had differences of thoughts and opinions, and we've had to struggle through that, work through that. But those differences are not going to divide us 
because our unity as husband and wife, our unity in Christ is much higher and stronger and bigger and more important than any of this other stuff that we might, dis- might disagree about. So we've got to keep it in that perspective. Unity is, hear this, unity is not something we manufacture. Our unity is our identity in Christ. We're united because we belong to Him, because we're in His family, because we're in His body. That's what puts us together, our common bond in Christ. So there's nothing that can break that. There is nothing that should separate that. So He calls us to be loving because that's how people will know who we are. That's how they will know that we are in the body of Christ, that we belong to Jesus because of the unity that we have and the bond of love that we share. One more dynamic I find in these upper room prayer prayers that apply to our current social environment that we're in. I'll share this last one with you. Be balanced. Be balanced by being in the world but not of the world. Here's what Jesus prays for His followers. John 17, 16 to 18. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So, Jesus is talking about this fascinating dynamic that we have to work to understand and to apply in our lives. It's a challenging one, but it's a wonderful one. That as Christians, we are not of this world, and yet Jesus has sent us into the world to make an impact for His glory. So the way we usually kind of summarize that is we say, we are in the world, but not of the world, right? You've heard that phrase, you've used that phrase. Well, how do we apply that principle in the midst of this current culture and the world events that are going on around us? And this, by the way, this is bigger than just COVID. This incorporates a lot of things going on in our society right now. Now, one thing I'd say, thankfully, our men's group, right, a number of our men's groups are studying a book that addresses this. And so I think we're going to get into some great conversations, those of us that are in those men's groups, about what does this mean? What does it mean to be Christians in an anti-Christian, non-Christian, post-Christian culture? But I think, unfortunately, we as believers at large have not handled this principle very well. And I'm going to show you how I've seen us missing the mark on this particular issue of being in the world, but not of the world. So first, some people of this, and having to do with this phrase, will emphasize the not of this world part of the principle. So those on that side would say, don't, that, that we need to, as Christians, question and distrust and oppose anything and everything that comes from the government or a government agency or society in general. Just oppose it all or against it all. And if, if, if you hear it out there, it's probably a lie, so it's probably you need to just believe the opposite. And so, therefore, they would say also, so our role as Christians is to control the government or try to reform our society and the, that we should fight to bring everybody over to our way of thinking as Christians. But that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus has called us to. 
And it's actually a dangerous worldview because it puts us in the place of trying to do what only Jesus eventually will do when he comes to reign as the righteous king. Now, do governments get it wrong sometimes? Absolutely, for sure. Should we expose the lies that are out there in our society? Yes, we should speak to those things. But the Bible calls us to discernment, not divisiveness. The Bible calls us to peace, not to rebellion. And the church in Acts has been a great example to us, right? Because the church in Acts was not anti-government or anti-society in their, their movement. The church worked within the structures of government and within the structures of society to impact people for Christ. There's another side of this as well. So there's, there's a group, a movement of Christians that would emphasize that we are to be in the world. And so this in the world emphasis, they would say, we should just adapt to our culture. We should appease the culture. They would say, you don't, don't make waves. Be tolerant of everything and everyone. They tell us that we should be appealing to the world look like them so they will want to come to us, come to Christ. And so even on issues like abortion or same-sex marriage, with things that the Bible clearly speaks to, this group would tell us, you know, just soften your stance. Just get on board with where the rest of the world is. That too is a dangerous worldview. That too is not the gospel. When the church in the world becomes like the world, it's no longer light or salt. Jesus said, we are not of this world because we've been sanctified. We've been set apart by the truth of God's Word. Notice that's the emphasis Jesus makes in that passage we just read, that He's placed us in the world to present this truth, the truth of His Word, to a troubled world. This is our calling. This is the truth that we stand on. Not what we believe about COVID. Okay? Understand that. That's not the truth that we're to be proclaiming. It's the truth about God's Word, about the gospel. So what is the balance here? When Jesus says, be in the world, but not of the world. So let me try to show it to you in this way again. So it's not over here, it's not on this side to, that we're to reform society and government. It's not on this side that we're supposed to just go along with society and government either and look like it. No, we're called to present the truth of God in the midst of our society, in the world, not of the world. That's the balance we've been seeing in the book of Acts, right? Which is why that's the study that we're in is so vital. And I encourage you, we're going to jump back into this next week. Hang with us for the next few months. We're going to continue through the book of Acts. We'll see the early church doing exactly this. It's a great picture of this balance of being in the world but not of the world, impacting their world through the message of the gospel, the truth of the word. That's what made the early church so effective. That's why it grew as it grew. 
about a week ago, I just needed to get away from things a little bit. It was back that the week before, before we had all this beautiful sunny weather when we had all, you know, a number of rainy days. And so I went out, found a trail, and uh, started hiking, got up onto a ridge where I could see out over. And it, this was, it was not raining where I was, but I could see the rain. I could see clouds over here, and I could see rain coming down over here, and I could see over here. It wasn't raining over here. I could see the movement of the clouds and the storms. It was amazing, beautiful. From up above, I had this bigger picture of what was going on. And I thought about that. I thought, you know, these last 18 months, we've been living under the cloud of COVID. <laughs> and all we're seeing is the clouds and the rain. And, and you know as well as I do, it just seems relentless. Will this ever be over? Are we ever going to get out of this storm? And what this passage, what the words and the prayers of Jesus in John 13 to 17 do for us, is they get us up on the mountain. They get us up on the ridge. We can see over the clouds. We can see God's hand moving the storms. We're not so covered in the rain. We can see His blessings. We can see His work. And that's what we desperately need. As Christians, we need to get above the fray, above the controversy, so that we can see God's work that we can love each other well, so we can see the unity that we have in Christ, so we can find the wisdom that we need from Him, so that we can see the balance that we so desperately need. That's my plea for us this morning. Be wise. Be loving. Be balanced. And we do that keeping our eyes on Jesus. Get above the fray, above the controversy. Don't be so in the world that it presses you into its mold. Don't get so caught up in the controversy that you can't love the person next to you. We as Christians are called to live above the storm. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your words of encouragement to us that you have overcome. Lord, we acknowledge we have been pressed down, discouraged, and in some ways, led astray, we've let the enemy attack us, we have wandered away, we have held on to our opinions too hard, we have distrusted and dishonored others. Lord, for all these sins, we ask You to forgive us. Lord Jesus, thank You that You were honest with us, telling us that we would have trouble, there would be struggles in this world. You didn't try to paint a picture, a rosy picture that wasn't reality. And yet, Lord Jesus, you have also reminded us that you have overcome this world. Ultimately, you have won this battle already. So, Lord Jesus, help us keep our eyes on you, our eyes on the victory. 
Help us to live above the fray, above the controversy, so that we can love each other well, serve each other well, so that we can be the light and the salt for our world that's so desperately needed. Lord, keep calling us higher. Thank you for making us overcomers in you. It's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen.